I want you to open your Bible this morning to Psalm number 40. I want to speak to you about defeating depression. I, about every three or four, five, six years, I preach a message on defeating and overcoming depression. It's epidemic. All you got to do is turn on the television and you'll hear about a murder-suicide in a marriage and you'll see all the other things that are going on and we, we live in a world full of depressed people. Many of them don't know they're depressed. So they uh, try to medicate their depression with alcohol or drugs, all kind of things. But it doesn't work. It just makes it worse. What does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about the cause? What does it say about the characteristics what does it say about the cure of depression? You'll find uh, great comfort in the Word of God. In uh, Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. And listen to this. He heard my cry. Well, that's, that's significant. I waited patiently for him. He listened to me. He heard my cry. Goes on and says, he brought me out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock and put a new song. And, and he put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. They will see it and will trust in the Lord. You know, depression is a horrible pit. If you've ever been there, you'll know how horrible it really is. But let me describe depression because every one of us has experienced it to a degree. Every one of us have people that we know and love that are affected by it whether it's people that we work with or others. You know, now there's what, what, what I would call mild depression. And that's uh, discouragement and disappointment. Do you ever just get discouraged? How do you deal with discouragement? How do you deal with it? Now, if you don't deal with it, it'll get worse. How, how do you deal with disappointment? And to me, discouragement and disappointment is, is a mild form of depression. But then there's serious depression. It's called despair. You move beyond disappointment and discouragement, and you just despair. You really, uh, to some degree, are confused. You don't know the next step to take, and you find yourself struggling with the simple things that are in your life. But also there's not only mild depression, disappointment, and discouragement. There's not only serious depression, which is despair, but then serious depression, which is despair, but there's severe, dep severe depression, and that's despondency and hopelessness. Now, when you get there, you've really gone down into the pit 
you just kind of progress down. But when you get to severe depression to where there is despondency and hopelessness, that is when you are in serious, serious trouble. You say, Brother Fred, did any of the people in the Bible ever get depressed? And let me ask you a question. Can a Christian get depressed? I mean, can you get so spiritual that you won't ever get discouraged or ever be disappointed or ever be full of despair or sometimes say, this is a hopeless situation? Well, you know, one of the great heroes of the faith was Moses. (laughs) And I'm telling you, you're talking about getting depressed. I want you to look at a passage in Numbers chapter 11. And we're just going to look at Moses. Now, this is a man of God. And I'm telling you, he's having a heart-to-heart conversation with the Lord. And so we begin reading in verse 1. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you may take the burden of these people that, that you would not have placed the burden of all these people on me. He said, God, why, why are you picking on me? He said, what, what, what have I done? And, and you put the burden of all these people on me. And it goes on. And you can see how depressed. Did, did I conceive these people? He's talking about the Israelites. Did I beget them? What should you say to me? Carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child? To the land which you swore to their fathers. He said, I didn't cause them to be born. I I mean, it wasn't my choice to take them in my bosom and carry them to the promised land. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? You see, they've been eating manna. And manna was coriander seed. It was a little white wafer that fell every morning, six days a week. And that's all they had to to eat was manna. And, you know, I, I, I guess they found different ways to cook it and fix it. But that's all they had. And they kept saying, Moses, listen, when we were in Egypt, we had fish. When we were in Egypt, we had meat. We don't have any here. When are you going to give us some meat? Well, where am I going? Where, where am I to give meat to give to all these people? For they weep over me. They're just crying. Give me meat that I may eat. And then he goes on and says, boy, you, you're talking about he's going to go on to the bottom of the pit. I am not able to bear all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And then he goes on and says, Now, if you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. Wow. God, if if you're going to keep putting this on me, you just go ahead and kill me now. Let's just get me out of this mess. Kill me here and now. But if I have found favor in your sight, do not, do, do not let me see my wretchedness. I'm telling you, Moses, whoo, he was angry. He was full of self-pity. He was bitter. He thought God had placed on him more than he could bear. And I am telling you, he was depressed. He said, God, I, if, if this is my lot in life, you go ahead and just kill me and get me out of it. Well, You know, Moses was a man of God, but he got depressed. All right, what about Job? What what about Job? In in the first chapter of the book of Job, let's read a couple of verses. In verse 1 it says, 
there was a man from the land of us whose name was Job. And this man was blameless. Wow, not faultless, blameless. And upright in the sight, was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and abhorred evil. Look at verse 8. So Job was, Job was a righteous man. God bragged on him. How many people in the Bible does God bragged on? Then it says in verse 8 of Job 1, then, he said, then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's no more like him, there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? Wow. God gave Job's testimony for him. Well, we all know that, you know, now Moses' depression was basically the result of the pressure, the circumstantial pressure that he was under. A bunch of people who wanted meat to eat, he couldn't give them any, and they were just constantly whining and complaining, and he just got full of it, and he gave in to the pressure and got depressed. Now, Job's depression came out of his circumstances. We know that he lost his family. He lost his cattle. He lost everything. And so we go on into the book of Job, and we see how Job responded to his circumstances. Look at chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. <laughs> Boy, this is, you in, he's in a rough place here. He, he said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Now, most of us would not understand that, but I, I pastored a church one time in a um, cotton mill village, and, and, and I, I would see those machines as they were weaving cloth. I never seen go, anything go that fast in my life. And Job said, my, 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 my days are faster than a weaver's shuttle, listen to this, and are spent without hope. Whoa. He said, I don't have any hope. Well, that's a bad place to be. That is severe. That is severe depression, hopelessness. And he goes on in verse uh, uh, 7 and says, oh remember, that, oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never see good again. Man, he's getting deeper. He said, I don't have any hope, and my life's just like a breath that's gone, and I'm never going to see good again. Wow, that's a bad place to be. And he goes on in verse 11 and says, he said, well, I'm not going to keep quiet about it. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my soul. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Wow. He was depressed. And he goes on and says in um, verse 16, I hate my life. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone, for my days are but a breath. I I'm telling you, you got a picture of one man who was depressed because of his circumstances. I mean, because of his pressure of the children of Israel. Then you got another man of God who was depressed because of his circumstances. And by the way, he had the worst circumstances a person could have. 
Well, you say, well, Brother Fred, did anybody in the New Testament ever get discouraged? Did anybody in the New Testament ever get disappointed? Well, I, I want to show you. In 2 Timothy chapter 9, chapter 4, uh, verse 9, that may not be the right verse. Look at verse 16. Let's see, like, right chapter. See what verse 16 says. All right, Paul, Paul is talking about that he's in a hard place. And notice what he says. At my first defense, I was under attack. No one stood with me. All forsook me. May it not be charged to their stand. He said, man, here I was. I was in this position. Not a person stood with me. Boy, that, that's, that's called disappointment and discouragement. But go on and said in the next verse, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might fear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And he was talking about the devil. All right, so I'm just showing you that you can be a Christian and you can get depressed. But see, that, it's not enough to know that. It's enough, to, it's enough to know how to deal with it, what causes it, and also what are the characteristics of it. How do you know in your own life? And how do you get out of it? Let me just say this to you, that depression is universal in its reach. Every nation, every country, Every race, every color, every creed, it is universal in its reach. It misses no land, no body of people. It is universal in its reach. But not only is depression universal in its reach, it's no respecter of persons. Hey, people with PhDs, educated people get depressed. People who dropped out of school in the seventh grade, they get depressed. The educated, the uneducated, people with millions in the bank get depressed. The richest man in the world at one time was so afraid of germs that he lived on the top floor of a hotel and put, allowed no light, no light to enter the place where he lived as a hermit with millions of dollars in the bank. Hey, he was depressed and afraid. So it, it, it's it, no respecter of persons. I'm telling you, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the young, the leading cause of death among teenagers is suicide. Somebody got depressed. Rich, poor, young, old, doesn't matter. It touches every race, color, and creed. Well... What causes depression? And uh, th this is a subject that you've got to find balance in. But I believe in my heart that I understand it. There are really basically two causes of depression. One, it can be a physical cause. Or the other is a circumstantial cause. So... You know, for years, let me just tell you what we thought. For years, we thought that if a person was depressed, 
they had a mental defect. We just felt like, well, they're just crazy. But that was not true. We thought they had a mental defect, or we thought that they were just weak. But in the last 20 years, there was a great discovery that came, and maybe a little more than that, to understand the, what goes on in the brain of a human being. And that in the brain of a human being, there are neurotransmitters. And, they, they, and when they fire and connect like they're supposed to, you're not depressed. But if for some reason, it could be stress, it could be any, anything, but if for some reason, just purely physical, they don't connect, they misfire, guess what happens? You get depressed. One of those, one of the chemicals in your brain that is so important in preventing depression is serotonin. And you know what it is? It, it puts kind of like a window on your thoughts. And it won't let certain thoughts in. But when the serotonin is gone and down and depleted, the thoughts just flood your mind. And so that's why most of the drugs today that help depression are called serotonin uptake drugs. I don't ever encourage anybody to stay on drugs for a long time. But I had one doctor to told me one time, he said, now, after I had gone through my second heart surgery, well, you, you probably going to need to take that the rest of your life. Well, I don't take it now, but I tell you what, it helped me when I took it. But you see, if the serotonin in your brain is depleted or the neephrine in your brain is depleted, then you're subject to depression. It is a physical cause. Just like if you do not have enough insulin in your body, you have to take, you have diabetes, and you have to take a shot. You can have a lack of serotonin or neephrine in your brain, and you need something to restore that. Does that mean you take it the rest of your life? No, but it means that it is, when it is needed, it's just like insulin. It sure is a lot of help. About 10 years ago, I was going to announce that I was going to preach a message on depression. A lady came up to me afterwards. I've been reflecting on this this week. Her name was Janet. It's been 25 years. It's been a long time ago. She was at Cottage Hill, so it had to be 20 years ago. She came up to me and said, Brother Fred, please deal with the physical aspects of depression. I said, I said, well, why? She said, I need to tell you my story. I said, well, well, I want you to tell me your story. So I talked with her the next day. She said, you know, Pastor, I was a, a summer missionary. I was president of the college choir. I had many, many, many friends. I was very active in college life. But my personality began to change. I lost my appetite. And I began to go downhill. And I knew something was wrong. Because I always loved to be with people and outgoing. But I just, I, I just wanted to withdraw. So I went to a physician. And his diagnosis was, you're just under too much pressure at school. So you need 
to not take as much schoolwork. So she, she said, I did what he said. I dropped some courses. But I got worse. Finally, I dropped out of school. This was an honor student. I went home to live with my parents. And I withdrew into my own world. And instead of getting better, I got worse. So finally, I went to another counselor. And that counselor, having examined me and talking to me, he said, I can find no mental reason that you're depressed. So he sent me to a physician. He ran a chemical test on my body and found that the chemicals in my brain were depleted. Now, I want you to listen to this. He gave me a a drug called lithium, which is nothing but a salt. It's salt. It's some kind of salt. And she said, I took that. And in two months, I was perfectly normal. All the symptoms left. I was back to myself. And I could go on with my life. And, And this was years later, and she was just as, hey, I mean, she had been healed. So don't, 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 don't be trite and don't be so spiritual. Just understand that there are some people that are depressed who have physical causes and medication will help them. Now, if there are certain things that are causing this depletion of those chemicals, then they got to deal with that. But there are people who it's, and I'll be honest with you, in some families it's genetic. It's genetic. I believe that you you inherit some genetics from your father and mother. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you learn one day. And so they're prone to get depressed. My wife had a wonderful family. Uh, Her mother was from the Het family. And then uh, her father was named Heath. And genetically in the Het family, they battled depression. Uncle Russell... The other, other, other uncle that lived in Augusta, her brother. I could just go on and name it. Her, her Aunt Betty that she loved so much. But it was just, they constantly fought it. And see, then nobody knew how to treat it, and so they self-medicated. You know what they did? They drank liquor. You know what depressed people do? They, 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 don't, they know they don't like the way they feel, so they self-medicate. They just drink alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. Did you know that? It depresses you. The thing that gro- broke Ann in my heart was the aunt we loved so much. She, st- she lived with us one summer. Died in an alcoholic stupor in an apartment by herself. And was not discovered for a few days. I'll tell you something, folks. Take seriously... If you have depression, and you take seriously those around you that have depression. So there are physical causes. But let's move on. If it's not a physical cause, then there's circumstantial causes. And let me tell you right now, I find that many, many people slip into discouragement and then to despair and then into despondency because there's circumstances in their life that they just cannot deal with or do not know how to deal with by the power of God. You see, it is not your circumstances. 
It is the way you respond to your circumstances that determine the condition of your life. Here's a person, and they have circumstances, and they respond to those circumstances in a right way, and they move on and live their life. Here's another person who has the same circumstances, but they respond the wrong way to those circumstances, and their life becomes crippled, and they become overcome by their circumstances. And so I'm telling you, now let's face it. I mean, the way we deal with our circumstances is going to determine the quality of our life. It's going to. All right, for example, we all experience emotional hurt in our life. We all know what it is to be emotionally hurt. You can call it uh, rejection. You can call it insult. You can call it abuse. You can call it neglect. You can call it anything you want to, but the truth is we are wounded emotionally. And no one is with beyond that ability. You say, you know, Brother Fred, the thing is, boy, just don't be so sensitive. You just put a wall up and you don't let people in and you won't get hurt. Yeah, and you'll be plastic and live a meaningless life. You've got to love and be loved. And if you love and be loved, then it means you can be hurt. So don't put up a wall and say, hey, you not, do not know how many times I've, I've counseled with men who are in their 40s or older and they've never married. And I said, well, you know, you've never married. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wonder why. You know, I didn't say it that way. You know, I didn't want to go just running into his life. He said, well, you know, I dated this girl. I loved her deeply. Went with her for years, and she broke it off. And I made myself this commitment. I'll never be hurt again. Oh, he wasn't, but he was living alone. He put up a shell, a wall. Sometimes you've got to ask God to take you beyond that. And so there are circumstantial causes of depression. There's no question about it. And um, the characteristics of it are this. When a person has been hurt or their circumstances are bad, it may be the death of a loved one, which is hard to deal with. It may be a rebellious son or daughter who have made wrong choices, got with the wrong people, and, and, and are in, in trouble. It could be the situation you're facing at work that is difficult, but you don't have another job. You don't have any chances of getting another job, so you've you got to deal with it. It, it may be that uh, you're just unhappy in your marriage. I find that at some time, all people are unhappy with their marriage. You say, well, I have never been unhappy with my marriage. You are a liar. (laughs) Don't tell me that. I have a wonderful wife, but sometimes I'm not always happy. And I know she's not always happy. You live with me, you'd never be happy. But anyway, but see, it's just, it's not our circumstances, y'all. It's the way we deal with our circumstances. 
not long ago, I heard of an individual in, in our church here that was battling depression, and I got a little insight as to where it was coming from. It was a family issue. And I said to him, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to get this tape I have on depression that I preached about 10 years ago. I want you to listen to it. And, I, and he listened to it two or three times. Guess what? He saw the circumstances that was causing him to be depressed and decided to deal with those circumstances in the right way. And guess what? He's not depressed. It was circumstantial. And so, you know, when you deal with your circumstances in a wrong way, one way you do it is with anger. You just get angry at your circumstances. Well, anger has never, never cured anything. It's never cured anything. In other words, if, if you don't deal with anger, it's, I don't care what your circumstances are. If you don't deal with anger, if you nurse it and rehearse it, then it becomes deep-rooted inside of you, and that anger turns into bitterness. And so soon you say, well, here's the problem. A lot of people are angry at their boss, and they're angry with this and angry with that, and they can't express it because they'll get fired. Do you understand? So they just push the anger down, push it down, maybe even in their marriage or with their, just push it down, push it down. And that anger, listen, anger pushed down and anger suppressed leads to depression. I want you to get this understanding. Anger is the root Depression is the fruit. If you don't deal with anger, you will end up depressed. And the way you deal with it is the same way you deal when God deals with you, when somebody, when you hurt God with your sin, what you do is that you, you receive, you ask God's forgiveness and you receive God's forgiveness. And once God forgives you, you accept that forgiveness and you move on with your life. So here's a person who hurts you. And so what you say is, I can be angry and I can be bitter, but that, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So you make a choice to forgive them. And you say, well, that, that's easy for you to say. I know it's not easy to say. It's the truth. You, you can deal with the anger and remember that anger doesn't mean, uh, forgiveness doesn't mean approval. I was talking to a young man yesterday who's been battling depression, and I said to him, listen, you, you've got to forgive them. But I want you to understand one thing. What they did was wrong, and the way they lied was wrong, but the main thing is you've got to forgive them because if you don't forgive them, you, you're just going to be drinking the poison and wanting them to die. And so you've got to forgive them. You make a choice, and if you make a choice, God will give you the power. So if you don't deal with anger, you're going to end up being depressed. This phone call happened. This lady called, and I don't know how she got my number, but she did. But anyway, she called. You can get my number. You can call the church, and you can get it, and I'll call you back. But anyway, she, um, she said, I want you to know one thing. She didn't even say, how are you? Isn't it a nice day? She said, I want you to know I'm angry. You are? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm angry with my husband. I'm angry with my life. I'm angry with my children. I'm angry with my job. And I interrupted her and said, and you're depressed. And she said, you're right. No wonder she had so much anger in her. So that's one characteristic of depression. You know, another one is a, a lack of self-acceptance. You don't like the way God made you. 
you're too tall or you're too short. Your hair's not the right color. You look in the mirror and you say, God, you sure made a piece of junk here. That's bad when people don't accept themselves. Hey, God knew what he was doing. Aren't you glad we don't all look the same way? Aren't you glad of that? You say, thank God. I mean, don't you think? I mean, come on. But you know, if a person doesn't accept themselves the way God made them, and whether their eyes are blue or whatever, or whatever their personality, if you don't accept the way God made you, and you're constantly feeling inferior because of that, what's going to happen to you? You're going to say, God, you made a mistake. And, 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 and I'm junk, and God doesn't make junk. I'm telling you, a part of not of dealing with depression is to accept the way God made you, and then where you need to be changed, you allow God to change you, but you cannot spend your life saying, what if God had made me another way? He didn't. Another cause of depression, another characteristic of it, is the inability to deal with stress. You know, these, these are the modern times. Do you know we've got uh, emails? You know what an email is? We've got text messages. Did you know that? You, you can get on your uh, iPad and you can read all the latest news that's going on in Alabama. You don't even have to turn the TV on. I think 25 years ago, the stress level of people in America on a scale of 1 to 10 was about 4. I believe now with the modern technology we have, I believe the stress level is about nine. Oh, yeah. Well, I got to read my emails. Who said so? Sometimes I'm busy, but I got to say, oh, I, there might be an important email on there. Most of them are advertisements. And you, you know, if somebody sends you a text message, and I enjoy that, I mean, after I'll spend all my time talking, I mean, if they send you a text message, that's good, but you can text them back. But dear Lord, if you get 25 or 30 a day, you get under stress. Well, if I don't answer them, they won't think I care. I don't believe there's ever been a time there was more stress than there is today. I don't believe that. I do not believe it. I believe these are the most stressful times that we've ever lived in. The pressure. You know what? They got people now, one person doing what three people used to do at work. Oh, yeah, the bottom line is they want to make money, so they'll give you a job that three people did before, and you've got to do it, and if you don't get it done, you're the bad guy. It's called greed. And so all these things, I mean, the, the inability uh, of anger and lack of self-acceptance and, and, and the, uh, just not able to deal with stress, and, uh, and then you get into the case, and we always get, all of us get there at some time or another, you get self-pity. You feel sorry for yourself. You ever feel sorry for yourself? You say, no. You're lying again. I mean, come on. <laughs> Lord, I deserve, Moses was so full of self-pity. I didn't ask for these people. I am not their biological father. But you mean I've got to deal with them the rest of my life? I deserve better than this, God. Why are you afflicting me? Self-pity. And you just feel sorry for yourself. I got a bad lot in life. And if you want to, you can find things to feel sorry about yourself. But that never changes anything. Self-pity never changes anything. Prayer changes things. The Word of God changes things. 
but feeling sorry for yourself have never changed anything. Well, I made a bad choice in life. Well, we've all made bad choices. Do we not know forgiveness? And do we not know, say, I, can't, I can leave that behind me and move on? Boy, you, you're, you're digging a deep hole when you just go around feeling sorry for yourself. And see, all of these things are circumstantial causes of depression. But I'll tell you the worst one. Anger, lack, lack of self-acceptance, unable to deal with the stress that's in your life, feeling sorry for yourself, self-pity. But here's the big one. When you feel trapped, you feel trapped. And this is the way you feel, you know. I might as well face it. This is never going to change. It's never going to change. It's going to be this way the rest of my life. And so I just might as well accept the fact that I'm trapped into this and I see no hope whatsoever of it ever changing and ever getting out of it. Now, now when you get there, you flat need to get a brother and sister in Christ to talk to and to pray for. Or you need to go to somebody that understands you or understands what you may be dealing with. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you get to the place where you feel trapped and that nothing is not ever going to change, this is your sentence for the rest of your life. You have lost hope. You're like Job. And he said, I have no hope. And, buddy, when you get there, when you get there, a few years ago, this has been many years ago, I I was sitting down with this uh, couple and his wife, um, had been going through depression. And uh, after we talked, and she, 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 she loved the Lord, and she was battling, and she overcame it eventually. But I asked her husband, I said, well, is there anything that you would like for your wife to promise you? After we talked about all that was going on in her life and how discouraged and depressed she was, is there anything that you would like, you would like for her to promise you and, and I, don't, you know, I don't know why I asked him that. And he said, yeah, that she would never do anything to harm herself. And about that time, she dropped her head on the table and began to cry because she had already tried to commit suicide and failed. You see, she got to the place where she felt trapped. There was no answer. There was no way out. Oh, listen, that is a bad place to be. Now, let me say something to you I found. I want to talk to you about the cure of it because we all battle it. Now, I want to go back to the mild form where you feel discouraged or, dis- or, or um, discouraged or not despair, but j- just discouraged or maybe disappointed. You better deal with that very quickly. At times, I don't even know why. I can be honest with you. I don't have anything to be discouraged about. I really do not. I don't have anything to be despondent about. I really don't. You say, well, you're living in an unwell world. But, you know, I, I don't go around discouraged all the time, and I don't go around despondent. But then sometimes, all of a sudden, I find myself discouraged. And for a while, I just let it just linger. And then I say, but wait a minute. Hold on. This, this is not acceptable to God, and it's not acceptable to me. I cannot let this. It's not too big for God. 
But I'm telling you, if you don't deal with discouragement when it's in its infant stages, and you don't deal with the, that despondency when it's in, in infant stages, it, it'll grow on you. And I have found that the quicker you say, I am not going to give in to these discouraging feelings. A lot of times it's just the devil trying to discourage you. A lot of times it's something that doesn't mount to anything in the long run. But I promise you now, if you linger there and don't deal with the discouragement, if you cut the head of the snake off right quick, it ain't going to kill you. And I feel strongly to say to you, don't go around feeling discouraged. You, I'm going to tell you how to get out of discouragement. But you don't, you don't give in to that. And it doesn't start off severe. Uh, well, I'm just discouraged. And, and, and you don't deal with it. And man, before long, you just find yourself digging a hole deeper. You know, if it's physical, if, you're dis- if, if your depression is a result of physical causes... Maybe because of some of your wrong response to circumstances. But if it's basically a physical thing, there's hope for you and you need to get help. Well, I'm going to just share this with you. I don't even know what time it is. I got time. I'm going to share this with you. My first heart surgery, the doctor said, now, I'm going to give you an antidepressant because most people after heart surgery, when they get on the heart and lung machine, they get depressed. I said, well, I don't need it. I've never been depressed. So I didn't take it. I mean, I didn't take any of them. Well, the second heart surgery, which was three months later, they found complications, and I was on the heart and lung machine for eight hours. The surgery was supposed to be four, but I, my heart was on the machine for eight hours. That's bound to mess you up. Again, he said, well, if you need anything but depression, I said, I don't need anything but depression. Son, about three weeks later, I was so depressed I could hardly raise my head. I'm telling you, you talk about depressed. I was wanting somebody to put me in an institution. You think, you laugh, I'm serious with you. But you know what? I called the doctor and I said, look, this is where I'm at. I've never been here before. And he said, this is what you need to do. I did what he said and in three weeks, the depression was lifted. And I, I was fine. Don't take it now. Don't need it. But I'm telling you, it can, it, it can be any number of reasons. So if, it's, you, if you think it's a physical cause, you get help. But let, let me tell you what you've got to do. If you're battling discouragement, despondency, despair, or hopelessness, or let me tell you what you've got to do. The greatest thing in the world for you and, and you, you're going to expect me to say this, but I'm going to say it because it's true. And I know it's true. And it always, it works. It helps. God uses it. You have got to get into the Word of God. And you have got to allow the Word of God. The Bible speaks of the washing of the water by the Word. The washing of the water by the Word. And, and as you begin to read, now don't go over there. And, and major on, the, on the, the life of Job. And don't go read uh, Lamentations. I'm not talking about that. You wait till you get a little better before you get Lamentations. <laughs> but I mean, get in Psalms. Read the Psalms. David was either depressed, coming out of it, or going into it. I love to read the Psalm. And, and he, he talked about 
Wait patiently for the Lord and rest in him. And man, you just read the Psalms. And I'm telling you, David, the guy, he just speaks a word to you. Just read them and read them and read them again. And if you don't feel like reading, put it on, get your uh, Psalms on tape and listen to them. But get in the word of God. And I promise you, the word of God will strengthen you. It will encourage you. It will help you. Listen, you're not going to get any better by reading the newspaper and watching the news. That ain't going to help you. You've got to get into the Word of God and let the Word of God be the balm in Gilead that heals your soul and read the Psalms and read the Proverbs and get over and get into the New Testament and begin to read all that Jesus did and all the people that Jesus healed and all all the people that Jesus brought out of a horrible pit and put their feet on a rock. And so you get in the Word of God and the Word of God becomes like a healing balm to your soul. And I promise you, if you get in the Word of God, and, and, you, and, and you, you just take it in, it will help you. It will help you. Instead of digging the pit deeper, you will be filling it up and coming out. He took me out of a horrible pit. There was a, when I was at Cottage Hill, there was a man who had seizures and he had to take his medicine. And this man did not take his medicine. And his mother called and said, uh, he's in the front yard and he's laying down and he's not having a uh, seizure, but he's just not himself. Well, being the wonderful pastor I am, I sent somebody out there. (laughs) I sent Jim Hedrick. I mean, he was a counselor. You know what Jim did? We love this man. He was a great guy, the, the guy that was having the problem. I loved him. He loved Jesus. All Jim did, he just got down and he started reading the Psalms to him. He just started reading the Psalms and reading the Psalms. Guess what? His spirit grew calm. And he got all right. And he came to himself. You say, Brother Fred, hey, there's power in the Word of God. And and if you want to get help out of that horrible pit, then you get into the Word of God. Then the second thing, the cure is the Word of God. I'm telling you. You say, I thought it was going to be some magical point. Hey, there ain't nothing like the Bible. Amen? Amen. But secondly, you just, you just got to pray about it. Pray about the anger. Pray about that way you feel about yourself. Pray about the, the, the situation at your job that's putting you under such pressure. Pray about your marriage. Take steps to make changes. So you got the Word of God and prayer is the greatest weapon or the greatest weapons against depression other than if you've got a physical cause, you take medication, you get out depressed, and then you, uh, you continue with the Word of God. But I, I'm telling you, 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 you don't dwell on your circumstances. Pray through your circumstances. Pray through them. Pray through them. And know that God, with God all things are possible. Do you hear me? With God all things are possible. You say to that mountain that is there. You said, Jesus, if I had faith as a grain of mustard seed, I could say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. And it would be cast into the sea. And I, I have faith as a grain of mustard seed. And I'm speaking to this circumstance. I'm speaking to this depression. And I'm praying against it in the name of Jesus. You've got to love one that's sick. You had a loved one that died. You got a child that's rebellious. Hey, pray. Pray for healing. Pray for the grace to go on when you've lost someone that's gone on to heaven. 
Pray when you for that child. Listen, I want to tell you something. It's hard to get deeper depressed when you pray. You say, but Brother Fred, that's just the problem. When you're depressed, you don't feel like praying. I know, I know, I know. But you still do it anyway. There's a third thing that I suggest. And I, and I believe, I know this works. I know it works. You get in the Word, major on the Psalms, New Testament. You, you start, every time you look at that circumstance or whatever it is, you pray. You pray. You pray. And you trust God. And you ask God to lift it. You ask God to resolve it. You pray. You just don't give in to it. You pray. You're a little bit discouraged. You pray. But then, you know what will what, calm your soul? When Saul would get depressed, he would send for David. And David would come with his harp and would play music for Saul. And the depression would lift off of Saul. Hey, just put on some good Christian music. I mean, good worship music. It all depends on what your taste is, you know. I don't want anything that's real loud, you know, and all that stuff. But just something that's... It just talks about Jesus. It talks about worshiping God. It talks about forgiveness. It talks about love. It talks about God's care. And, and you just worship God. You just got it on and you're listening to it. And you're letting it get into your spirit. I tell you, man, worship music. It will. It, it does wonders. It does. Well, you good gracious. I ain't going to have time to do nothing else. I won't even have time to worry. No, you won't. The Word of God. Prayer, the worship of God. I love what Jehoshaphat did. The Moabites were coming against him, and he did not have a prayer, one chance at all to have victory. And the Bible says, and and Jehoshaphat prostrated himself and fell on his face and worshiped God. Second Chronicles 20, he prostrated himself and he worshiped God in the middle of the battle. It's easy to worship God when the depression's gone, but it's wonderful to worship God when the battle's raging and there's war in your soul, but you just say, I'm going to sing. I'm going to put on those great hymns, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Or some of the great songs we sang this morning. Let me just tell you something. Worship, worship. And see, that that's why I'm saying that as children of God, we do not, are not immune from depression, but we have the power of God. We've got the Word of God. We've got prayer. We've got the worship of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And let me tell you something. When you're depressed, and I'm about through, when you're depressed, you feel like God's further away from you than he ever was. The truth is, he's closer to you than he ever was. I want to show you this closing story. It's in 1 Kings. I want you to look at it. It's in 1 Kings, and it's cha- I think it's chapter 19. It's going to be on the board, okay? Elijah was a mighty man of God. On Mount Carmel, he called down fire from heaven and slew four, over 400 of the prophets of Baal. The great victory, and the people said, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God, and it was a great revival. And then uh, Jezebel threatened Elijah the next day and said, the dogs are going to lick your blood up. And for some reason, I don't know why, he, started, he ran. He just started running. And he ran, and he got to a point, and then he left his servant, and he went on into the desert. And I want you to look, he said. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, 
and came and sat down under a broom tree. Somebody says, in some place says a juniper tree. I don't know what either one of them is, but it was a tree. And he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Come on, Elijah, my Lord, you had just seen one of the greatest miracles of God. Fire fell from heaven and consumed the wood and the, and the water and everything. And the prophets of Baal were slain. And now you are sitting under a tree, depressed, asking God to let you die. What in the world happened to you? You say, boy, I bet God's upset with him. I bet God's upset with him. Well, and he said, it is enough. Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. I want you to look at the next verse. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, silently an angel touched him and said to him, Elijah, arise and eat. Then he looked, and it was there by his head was a cake, a cake baked on coals. And a jar of water. While Elijah slept, God wanted Elijah to know. He thought God had forsaken him. Elijah wanted him to know he'd never been closer to him than he was right now. So he had an angel bake him a cake. An angel food cake. (laughs) I don't know why that came to me. (laughs) I've often wondered about them. I guess that's where you get the name. Baked him a cake and gave him some water. He said, now eat this and drink it because you've got a journey to go. So he ate it and drank it and he went back to sleep. And when he woke up the second time, there was a cake. There was a water. He said, now, it says here, and the angel of the Lord came back the second time, touched him and said, arise and eat. Your journey is too great for you. You know, I would think, well, buddy, you're in trouble because... You got scared of Jezebel and you ran and God's, God's upset with you. And buddy, you, you, you've just, you, you better get some, you better do some quick changing right here. No, no, no. God knew his heart. He knows your heart, by the way. He loves you more than anybody loves you. Nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. And I want you to know, he baked him a cake and gave him a drink of water. Let me tell you something. I don't care how deep your depression might be. I want you to know you, God's right there. Jesus is right there. And he loves you. And he is there for you. And all he wants you to do is just get in his word and pray and worship. And he will bring healing to your mind and healing to your spirit. And you'll find that Jesus is greater than those circumstances. He's greater than those things that you're facing. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the Jesus that delivers us from depression. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And he will deliver you.